Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. Our mission is to plant ourselves at the gates of hope. Not the prudent gates of optimism, which are somewhat narrower. Not the stalwart, boring gates of common sense. Nor the strident gates of self-righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges. People cannot hear us there. They cannot pass through. Nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gate of everything is going to be alright. But a different, sometimes lonely place. The place of truth-telling about your own soul first of all and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world, both as it is and as it could be, as it will be, the place from which you glimpse not only struggle, but the joy of struggle. And we stand there, beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing, asking people what they see. one of my favorite poems. It's this beautiful, beautiful way in which we are able to enter into the reality that sits around us in the midst of this tension of the world in which we live. I'm fascinated by this poem, not just because of that tension, but because it was because of what it says about us, about our desire for everything to be all right. I don't know if you have been in stores recently. I don't know if you have gone shopping to do Christmas shopping recently or not. But the moment that you walk into the store, you are inundated with joy and with happiness and wonder. You see images of children running about on Christmas morning, tearing open their packages to be met with this unbelievable sense of joy and happiness. You are surrounded by these images of families coming together to embrace in this happy, wonderful, beautiful sense of togetherness and of love where everything is just all right. Everything is good and wonderful and perfect. It's the idyllic Norman Rockwell painting of a family coming together around Christmas. The other day, yesterday, in fact, a friend of mine posted on Facebook, he said, please pray for my marriage. It's Saturday, two weeks before Christmas, and we're about to enter Costco. (laughs) There's more truth in that statement than what we see in the stores and on advertisements. That this season is actually, despite the humor that is there, there's always truth within humor. Despite the humor that is there, despite the joke that he is making, there is a tension that we are met with during this Christmas season. The last line of that poem is, what do you see? What do you see? What do you really see in this season? 
not the Hallmark card, not the Norman Rockwell painting, not the beauty and the hope and the love that surrounds every single person in this season. But what do you really see? What is this world like right now in this space at this time? Because I am inundated with images of children locked in cages being separated and torn apart from their families, where literally, quite literally, a four-month-old was the youngest of them all that has been separated from their family at the border. I am inundated with images of war, of rumors of war, of people who are dying and being put in bags and shipped home to their families, all because politicians and governments can't quite seem to get along. They act more like children than adults. I'm inundated with images of families stuck in desperation. Every time I walk through the gates at Safe Harbor, I see families that are so caught in desperation. A new family is there with a couple of kids inside Safe Harbor, and for them it is a beautiful moment of hope. It's a beautiful moment of we're finally off the streets, but yet there is still this cliff of desperation that they stand upon, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, not knowing what tomorrow will look like. I'm inundated not only with images, but with sound bites and sound clips of the dismantling of truth and of facts of it unraveling all around us, all in an attempt for a massive power grab, all in an attempt for a moment in the spotlight to control something for just a moment. I'm inundated with stories and images of anti-Semitic attacks that are happening on the daily, that are happening every single day in our own country, inundated with fear, and exhaustion, people who are extremely tired of all of the stress that these problems and these challenges are, are, are pressing down upon them and their own circumstances and their own lives. I'm inundated with stories and images of hatred. Just yesterday at the Army-Navy game, images have flooded the internet of the, these cadets flashing white supremacy signs on camera, on television. Darkness is all around us. Darkness is on our flank. Darkness is in front of us. Darkness is behind us. Darkness is actually flooding into our own lives as well. It's not just something that is around us, but during the season, we are met with such a tremendous amount of darkness and of pain that centers itself in our lives. And pain is running rampant. The Christmas season is one of the highest seasons of the year for suicides. Because we are met with this completely disjointed sense of reality. That everyone should be happy, that everything is hunky-dory, that everything is perfect all around us. But I don't feel that way, and because I don't feel that way, there must be something wrong with me. And therefore, dot, dot. Darkness and a loss of perspective 
a loss of what is happening in this world around us is causing so much pain and so much struggle, so much heartache. Welcome to church. Welcome to Advent. Welcome to Christmas. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the images that we get of Christmas of being this happy-go-lucky, wonderful, idyllic place is actually not the central theme of the Christmas season. It is not actually the central theme of Advent. The central theme of Advent is darkness. The thing that rises to the top is an understanding of all of the pain and struggle that is around us, that lives in our own homes, that lives within our own lives. It is an awareness that darkness is ruling the day, that darkness is present, and that darkness is wreaking havoc and chaos in the world around us. This is a reality check on the condition of our world. And what Jesus means for that. See, our world is our world is not so unlike the world to which Jesus was born in. There has not been change in the themes. Sure, there's technological advances. People have gained more education and insight and thoughts into things. But the human condition is not unlike the world in which Jesus was born into. It was a world filled with tyrants in Rome that sought to maintain their power through the death and destruction of their political opponents and enemies. Where rulers and emperors were literally killing their mothers because they were fearful that they were going to do something to usurp their power, where they were killing family members and even wives and children who they thought were getting a little too close to power, a little too close to the throne. It is a world filled with these sorts of tyrants that ran oppressive schemes in Rome. But it wasn't just in Rome and throughout the empire. They had these little minions, so to speak, other rulers that lived in their space and ruled on their behalf over territories. And Israel was one of those spaces with King Herod, who was also a political tyrant who murdered John the Baptist down the line because he saw him as a threat to his power. A man who continued to oppress people through taxation schemes to which he could get rich for. A man who enslaved people left and right to build him palaces and structures and, and things that would glorify his name throughout the land of Israel. People who saddled up next to that power. Religious leaders who saddled up next to that power to stand just in the limelight to get a little taste little taste of power in the hopes that maybe they could curry enough favor to get the things that they cared the most about through. Who cares if it benefits anyone or not? It's what we want and what we desire. It was a time in which underemployment ran rampant, a time in which oppressive tax schemes bled the poor dry. And it was a time when people were looking for hope. They were looking 
everywhere they possibly could for hope for the Messiah that had been promised to them who would restore everything back to right would appear and would come. They looked everywhere for this Messiah. In fact, many people came out and rose up throughout these periods of false messiahs, people who said, let's take the government down through violent revolution. Let's take our oppressors down through war and through secret, secret guerrilla-type tactics in the world around us because that will for sure be the way in which we will find deliverance. Let us take it for ourselves. It was a people who were crying out for deliverance. And in this season, in this space, Mary is visited by an angel and says, that one whom you have been hoping for, that Messiah is here. Luke chapter 1 is the beginning of this story. Luke is the third gospel in the order of our New Testament. The, the third gospel, which is only the one of four perspectives, so to speak, four perspectives of, of the gospel, four different ways of looking at Jesus' impact and influence on the lives of people around them. And Luke was much more of a historian, and he did everything that he possibly could to write down every detail of what mattered and of what was important in this story of this coming Christ, of this coming Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 1, we have Mary, Jesus' mother, who has been told of this impending birth. Mary's a teenager, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. A teenager who has just been told, hey, you're pregnant. All of you recently non-pregnant mothers, <laughs> imagine that at 13 or 14 years old, 15, 16 years old, unwed, without a partner to help you walk through it well. Now, Mary is this pregnant teenager who, we're not really sure why, but she ends up with her aunt for three months during her pregnancy. Perhaps it's because she was being exiled by her own family. The shame that would be placed upon her for being a pregnant, unwed teenager who claims that she's still a virgin and that God himself impregnated her. Mary's family might have been like, girl, you're crazy. You have done lost your mind. It is time for you to go spend some time with Elizabeth because we're just done with you. Go hang out with your aunt. Help her because she's really pregnant. She was six months pregnant at the time, and Mary became her helper throughout the last stages of her pregnancy. While also being pregnant, we don't know how far along Mary was at this time, but here she was being exiled by her family, perhaps, to spend time with her aunt, away from the onlooking eyes. And in the moment that she meets her aunt, in the moment that she is there together, in the midst of her own exile, in the midst of her own darkness, in the midst of her own pain, family pain, societal pain, faith, religious pain. Did I really hear God right? Did I really see an angel? Or am I really crazy like everybody says I am? In the midst of all of that, she sings this song. In Luke chapter 1, she says this, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. In the midst of her hopelessness, in the midst of the world crumbling in and pressing in around her, she spends this moment to proclaim the hope that is this coming Jesus, the hope that is this coming Messiah who was going to change everything, literally everything. Ben Wildflower created this amazing art piece that, to me, puts Mary in a vastly different perspective. Her foot on the head of the snake. Her foot on the head of a skull representing death. She stands triumphant over death and evil. And the four themes that she proclaims, cast down the mighty, get those rulers, those evil tyrants that are upon the throne, that are doing all of the things to change our society for the worse, that are continuing to press us and mold us and shape us into a people that we should not be, cast down the mighty and lift up the lowly. Cast down those rulers and lift up the humble spirits, the humble servants, like me, send the rich away and fill the hungry. Flip everything upon its head. The end of death, the end of evil, and the entire order of things turned upside down on its head. Because hope, this Jesus is coming to do that. Hope is coming in the midst of death darkness. Hope is possible here and now, and Jesus is going to flip it all over, upside down. God will turn this world to rights. God will turn this world towards justice. And in the midst of this, there is hope not just for this world in which we inhabit, but there is hope for you. There is hope for me. Hope is possible. But hope can be really hard. Hope can be extremely difficult to live into, to accept, to hold. Oftentimes, hope feels as if it, as if it is fleeting, if it is flittering away like a butterfly as we attempt to grasp it and hold on to it. It just floats and floats and floats away. It's not a spoiler because it hasn't released yet. But Star Wars is coming. And perhaps one of the most beautiful, I know this is a hard turn, and perhaps one of the most beautiful quotes from all of the Star Wars movies comes from Leia, to which she says this, 
She says, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night. Hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you can see it, you'll never make it through the night. You see, I think oftentimes we think of hope as being optimism. This this idea that is founded upon nothing. I'm a really optimistic person. I like to see the glass half full all the time. In fact, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. It's usually not half full. It's like three quarters full, right? It's like like all the people are like, "Uh, it's half empty. I'm like, no, it's three quarters full. I don't know what you're talking about. Let's take this hill. Woo! Right? Like, it, it, hope is like, or we've got, I have this understanding, like, I'm just super optimistic that everything is going to turn out roses. Even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of destruction, even in the midst of despair, I have this belief, this stupid, stupid, unfounded belief that everything is going to be all right. It's not. But hope is not that. Hope is not a stupid, unfounded belief in things that you have no control over, which oftentimes in these situations are other people. In the hopelessness and in the hope of circumstances, oftentimes we in an optimistic belief, we have this understanding that they're just going to do what it is that's going to benefit us, that's going to make everything right and good and well. That's just unfounded optimism. Hope, on the other hand, hope is a deep-seated belief in the rule and the reign of God, a deep-seated belief that God is working, that God is at play, and no matter what, it will turn out for the good, not necessarily what we want, but for the good. We read this just a little bit ago. We reflected upon this in the Lectio from just about, I don't know, a little bit ago. It was Isaiah chapter 35. And verses 3 and 4, this is Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. This is hope. God is with us. The prophet Isaiah called out into the wilderness, energized the limp hands, strengthened the rubbery knees, tell fearful souls courage. Take heart. God is here, right here, on his way to put things right and redress all wrongs. He is on his way. He'll save you. God is here, right here. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of it all, God is right here. This is Advent because Jesus put on flesh to come near to us, to be with us here and now in this space, present with us. This is Jesus. This is Jesus putting the world to rights, putting everything back together where peace may reign, where love is supreme, where joy can be had, and together all of those things will be coming to fruition around us because here comes heaven. Hope. Hope is a dangerous thing. 
I remember the first time that I heard that phrase. It was in the Shawshank Redemption. It was read sitting down telling Andy Dufresne that he'd better not hope because hope is a dangerous thing. For the longest time, I believed that, that it was dangerous for me to hope because hope can oftentimes flitter away, that hope could be destroyed, that People could do things all around me, and that that hope that I had had would be slashed and cut down and pushed aside, and I would be left in complete and utter shambles. That hope was something that I could control. And in the midst of that, hope would be a dangerous, dangerous thing for my mental, my emotional, my physical being. I don't think that's what Red was talking about. I don't think that's actually what hope is a dangerous thing means. The theologian wrote in his book, Doors to the Feast, Horg Zink, we humans contribute to the world's gloom like dark shadows on a dark landscape. But now this man from Nazareth comes to us and invites us to mirror God's image And show us how. He says, you too can become light, as God is light. What is all around you is not hell, but rather a world waiting to be filled with hope and faith. Hope is a dangerous thing because we who put hope into action can change the world around us. We, as a people who have an understanding of the darkness that is pushing and pressing in around us, that is ever-present in this world, that we, as a people with this hope of a Jesus who mirrors God's image and has showed us how, that we can become light in this dark place, that we can be light as God is light, and that we can fill this waiting world with faith and hope. Hope is a dangerous thing because we are that dangerous thing, that we embody a hope that is found in this baby Jesus that has come into this world vulnerable and waiting for us to take hold and for us to step forward and make a difference. We can find hope in Jesus We can find a hope that changes not only our perspective and our understanding of the darkness that surrounds us, but we can find hope in Jesus and we can embody that hope to the world. This is what makes us powerful. This is what makes us strong. This is what makes us a different type of people a people who have embraced the darkness that is around us, a people who have embraced our wounds, our pain, our vulnerabilities. And we have said those things, those weaknesses are actually how we show light into the world around us, that we show hope for a new tomorrow and a new day that is dawning.
A day in which Jesus reigns supreme in this world. A day in which Jesus is putting everything back to rights and he has invited us on that journey with him to be a people of hope. So take heart, courage, as the prophet Isaiah says. Take heart, take courage, and step into the new hope and the new reality that is around us. Embrace, embrace the Jesus that has called us forward to be light in the darkness. They always say that the darkness is greatest before the dawn. Somebody said that back in 1650. It's not super old. But the darkness is always greatest before the dawn. And in this moment, we get to be a people who, as it looks as if the darkness of the world continues to press down upon us, as we quite literally walk towards the winter solstice, the darkest day of the year, where we'll get, what, four hours of actual sunlight, unless it's a sunny day, then we'll get six. As we see the darkness that encloses around us, we get to be a light in the dark place, that we get to change the world around us. So take heart. Take heart and step forth into this new world, into this new way of understanding and being, and be the hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the light of Jesus. We thank you that his light is our light as well. And that together we get to shine bright like a diamond. Thank you, Rihanna. That we get to be a people that reflect you in all sorts of goodness and all sorts of beauty, despite the pain and the suffering and the struggle that we have. That we are a people that are turning that pain and that suffering and that struggle to good to rights. Father, this holiday season, as we celebrate your birth, as we celebrate a new year that is on the horizon, that is on, on the precipice of becoming a new decade, Father, may we be a people that embody your hope now and forevermore. Father, it is in your son's precious and holy name that we pray all of these things. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.